46 to 55. Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And together we pray. Thanks be to God. Kia mo tonu tana kupu ki a tato. Amen. Thank you, Chloe. Kia ora koutou, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online today. Today's message, as Newt said, leads into our four-week series on Advent. The word Advent, if you don't know, means the arrival or the appearance of something significant, like a new government. Or the appearance of summer in Auckland, a long-awaited and surprising Advent. But in the Christian season of Advent, we celebrate the arrival, of course, of Jesus Christ, the coming of God into the world in flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, to take away the sins of the world. And it's such a momentous Advent, greater even than a day in Auckland without rain, that this season is traditionally marked by four great themes, love, joy, peace, and hope. These themes are characteristics of the kingdom of God that arrived in Jesus Christ, a kingdom we inhabit, one we live within, and one we bear witness to. Love, joy, peace, and hope are not just themes that we pull out of a theological box labeled Advent and kind of timidly wave around at Christmas, hoping that the world won't say, you've got to be kidding. Have you seen the state of things lately? There is, of course, more than one kingdom at play in the world. Jesus spoke of Satan as the ruler of this world. The prince of darkness has sown sufficient hopelessness, sorrow, conflict, and hate, the antithesis of our four themes, to tempt even the devout Christian at times to wonder if the reign of God is a reality that we can confidently attest to, not be laughed off the world stage. And so to the proclamation of Advent, some would say, don't be so naive. But I want to suggest today that we who follow Jesus are not naive. Those seemingly naive markers of the kingdom of God, love, joy, peace, and hope, 
are also fruit of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as Christ's followers. The same Spirit also draws those who don't yet know Jesus to him, leading them to the light that Isaiah spoke of when he said, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. All who look to Jesus Christ experience a new reality. We who follow Jesus testify that this reality has advented within us. The verb advented may not exist. <laughs> Julie, my English teacher wife, spent quite a while yesterday trying to determine whether it did or didn't. Wikipedia said it did. Various um, thorough dictionaries didn't hold it, but let's create it. If it did exist, it would be the simple, the simple past and past participle of the noun advent. Christ has advented, appeared, arrived within us, giving us new life through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who conceived Jesus in Mary. Adventing is possibly another new word, and an even better one, as a present participle verb, because our encounter with Christ is present and continuous. With Christ's adventing, his continuous arrival in our lives daily, Love, joy, peace, and hope can manifest. Those virtues can permeate our lives. And the world is watching those of us who testify to Christ. We testify to a tangible and transformative reality that we know to be true. I suggest we are not naive. And yet we do testify to Christ's advent in the face of genuine darkness. The clash of kingdoms will continue in this world until the second advent of Christ, better known as his return. The kingdom he inaugurated with his first coming is yet to be fully consummated with his return. Love, joy, peace, and hope have taken root, but they're not yet universal. And so this transformative, powerful, redemptive presence of God has entered the world, but it's not completely pervaded it yet. The triumph of the kingdom of God and Christ's unending reign of peace and justice in the age to come is assured. Our guarantee of this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It will happen. It has begun but it's evidently not the sum total of reality yet, hence the charge of naivety and the competing views to define this world and where it's heading. And yet tragically, the person who closes the door to Christ's advent cannot fully know love, joy, peace, and hope. Because in the, in the absence of a redemptive encounter with a living God, our lives tend towards superficiality or cynicism. And it's not only non-believers who are tempted by these ways of thinking and ways of living. We who follow Jesus too can be tempted in both those directions, superficiality and cynicism, if we lose sight of God. Indeed, I want to suggest that Jesus himself was tempted by superficiality when Satan took him up 
to the apex of the temple and tempted him to throw himself off in order to demonstrate God's saving power. What was that if not a superficial alternative to the more costly sacrifice that he was called to make at the cross? Yet he resisted that temptation. So let me have at a definition, if you like, of superficiality. I suggest it's a kind of false hope, not the true hope of the kingdom of God. It's an empty joy. A superficial life seeks to ignore the genuine darkness of this world because it has no answer for it. It retreats from the reality of human brokenness to live in the moment, pursuing whatever temporary happiness it can lay its hands on. Real hope and joy grounded in the love of God through Christ, a love that heals, forgives, and disarms hatred, is replaced by a false hope, a shallow pursuit of pleasure, and the pretense that all is well. A superficial life pursuing pleasure is an attempt to paper over the painful realities of sin and death, a reality that only the cross and resurrection can fully answer. And I think we know we live in a superficial age. We also live in a cynical age, don't we? And cynicism is not so much a false hope as the rejection of all hope, perhaps, in the face of a fallen world. I think cynicism masquerades as wisdom. The cynic says, you can't tell me everything will end well. I know better. The cynic claims to have looked reality squarely in the face and seen its ugliness. But I think the problem for the cynic is that they only see ugliness and darkness, hypocrisy and hopelessness. There's no beauty, there's no light. And so the cynic therefore mocks the notion of advent, the arrival of a good God who answers the world's need for hope and healing. The cynic, therefore, forfeits joy through embracing despair, and the restless soul of the cynic who claims to have the measure of the world cannot know true peace. Julie and I had a lovely dinner last night with Sarah and Mike Paddock and family, and a lovely meal with them and a great rich conversation into the evening. And Mike has been reading a book on cynicism, and he suggested from, oh, well, this author said that the cynic Maybe um, may fear disappointment. And I thought that's quite an astute remark. Perhaps cynicism is a defense mechanism against pain in life, the fear of being disappointed. And some of us, I think, are tempted in that direction. And yet defense mechanisms, of course, actually prevent us from life in all its fullness and from knowing love. Mary, remarkably, was neither superficial nor cynical, nor was she naive. Now, like those of you who might be teenagers, Mary was watching, of course, the hypocrisy of us adults and aware of the world's flaws. The young Mary actually knew that the world had an ugly side. Listen to her prayer. Her prayer speaks of the proud, those whose hearts are conceited, she knows that the world is a violent place where the powerful rule mercilessly. 
She lived under Roman occupation, after all. She knows a world where the poor go hungry while the rich feast. Yet she's not cynical. Her God humbles the proud, brings down the powerful, elevates the lonely, and feeds the hungry. Her God, the Mighty One, has done great things. Mary's God shows mercy, remembering, as Mary says, the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary has a great God. But think about it. Her son would be crucified as a criminal on a cross. She had to flee her country while pregnant to escape a murderous hunt for the next king of Israel. Her teenage pregnancy out of wedlock would undoubtedly have brought shame on her and her family. Her reality was far from that which she describes in her prayer of praise to a God who rights all wrongs. Was she then superficial? Had she buried her head in the Torah and refused to look around her at reality? I don't think so. Luke chapter 2 records the haunting words of the prophet Simeon to Mary as she and Joseph dedicate Jesus at the temple. Simeon looks Mary in the eye and says, this child is destined for the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Young Mary, who embraces her role as the mother of God, learns that this will cost her dearly. Mary is our model of how to hold faith, hope, love, and joy, even as she accepts that the arrival of the kingdom of God in her womb will cause her suffering and sorrow, and we too share in the sufferings of Christ. She patiently and faithfully awaits the fulfillment of the very things that she praises God for, the restoration of Israel, the elimination of social and economic injustice, the humbling of the proud. In short, the establishment of shalom, the peaceful reign of God on earth. Mary, a humble, prayerful teenager, leads us all, young and old, into Advent, teaching us how to say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And we say it even as we confront the gritty reality of life on earth, marred as it still is by sin and evil, by suffering and injustice. Mary's prayer epitomizes the definition of faith from the book of Hebrews which tells us, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Advent recalls us to such faith, to see again in the spirit, just as Mary did, the age to come when all things will be put right, to recognize that the reign of God has already broken into the world through the advent of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Such faith calls us to acts of mercy, justice, grace, and love. 
Advent invites us to partner with Christ and the Spirit, embodying the characteristics of the kingdom of God so that the world might believe. Mary is known to the Eastern Orthodox as as Theotokos, a Greek term meaning God-bearer or mother of God. It's a way of affirming that Jesus was not only human but also fully divine. Mary bore divinity in her womb. It's remarkable. And in one sense, every Christian is also a God-bearer because the Spirit of God conceives within us faith, hope, love, joy, peace. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, said Jesus to his disciples and to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he says. Paul encourages us. He speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he speaks of the love of God that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Christ is manifest in us through love, joy, peace, and hope. And as we live in Christ and Christ in us, we are God-bearers in a world that hungers for an alternative to superficiality or cynicism. And we join Mary in sharing in the sufferings of Christ, her beloved Son, patiently awaiting the age to come. And as we do so, we proclaim the good news of Advent. Christ has come. He will return. We live in him, and as Newt so often says, he is making all things new. So over the next four weeks, we're going to explore these great traditional themes of Advent. We will sit with Mary and reflect on her great prayer. Sam Burroughs, Mary Beatty, Alyssa Scarlett, and Sam Henry will each illustrate one of those four themes for us. And in the meantime, as you rub shoulders with people who don't, yet know Mary's son. Hold fast to faith, to the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Be God-bearers. Magnify the Lord. Let your life testify to Christ, the Savior of the world. Shall we pray? Our Lord Jesus, we marvel at your humility. We marvel at the humility of God to send you into the womb of Mary, a poor teenager, vulnerable. Lord God, you humbled yourself immensely. You became vulnerable so that you might redeem the world and save it from brokenness. Lord, as we live in a broken world, as we live in a dark world, as the world sometimes mocks the claim of Advent, may we be like you, humble, vulnerable. May we be like Mary, filled with faith, declaring your praises, even in the hardships and suffering of life. Lord God, fill our hearts with faith, hope, peace, love, and joy through the Holy Spirit, so that we may testify to your coming kingdom. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.